Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Tokyo, Japan with my new friend Anthony Joe of the Tokyo podcast. Anthony is originally from Canada and has traveled the world. He now lives in Tokyo because he feels it's the easiest big city to live in. In this episode, we talk about sumo matches, sushi trains, and the story of the Hachiko dog. Hear about these three fun stories and so much more in this interview. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Tokyo. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Acorns is one of my favorite apps because it helps me invest spare change automatically. Every time I make a purchase with a registered debit or credit card, the transaction is rounded up to the next dollar. Then, Acorn invests these roundups in my personalized portfolio. Plus, when you shop at participating retailers or service providers, you can earn additional found money to invest in your future. Examples of current and previous partners include DoorDash, Liberty Mutual, Macy's, and FedEx. I've been using Acorns for years and love how much money I've saved up from all these small investments. Sign up using my referral link at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns to start saving today. Hey, Anthony, welcome to the show. Hey, Lee, thanks for having me. Today, we're talking about Tokyo, Japan. When I was searching for guests to talk about the city, you're the first person I thought of because you run the Tokyo podcast. You know everything about Tokyo, and I had to have you on the show to talk about your city. So what brings you to the, the city, or what's your connection to Tokyo? Well, I'm half Japanese, and I used to live in Japan as a child. And uh, I was living in Bangkok before I moved here, and I'm originally from Canada. And before I decided to head back to Canada, I thought it would be kind of interesting experience to live back in Japan, just to kind of see what it was like living here as an adult. So after I wrapped up in Thailand, I moved to Japan, and I've been here about seven years now. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so you've been there for seven years your experiment obviously turned out positive, uh, you know, and you decided to live there for this long. Uh, what's the main thing that kind of keeps you in town? It's uh, probably a, a combination of things. I find that I've lived in other cities before. I've lived overseas now for about uh, 11 years. And so I was in Germany before Thailand and then Bangkok and now Tokyo. And I think one of the things that I like about living in Tokyo is it's probably one of the easiest uh, large cities to live in. I think around the world. Is that because of the the transportation? Because uh, obviously, I know they have fantastic transportation. Is that the reason why, or is, there, or is it something else? That's part of it. Yeah, the part of it. But the the thing is, like you know, when you live in a big city, I don't think most people would really choose to live in a big city if they had a choice, right? Like most of the time, you live in a city because it's convenient for work or whatnot. But let's face it, large cities are never that enjoyable to live in. <laughs> But the thing with Tokyo is Tokyo was built up after the war. And so when they built this city, they really built it around the office worker, what they call a salary man here. So the whole city is kind of designed to make sure that that office worker can work as easily and comfortably as possible. So the whole infrastructure is kind of set up that makes it really easy to kind of live and work in the city. Not a lot to do outside of work you know it's not the most <laughs> exciting city outside of work but if you have to live in a city it's pretty convenient and pretty easy to live here there's not a lot of frustrations that you get uh in other large cities which is a pretty amazing considering the population of the, the cities like what 13 million people or something like that so it's quite a lot of people here that's tremendous i mean uh, yeah I, I used to live in la 
And my home was maybe 35 miles from my office in downtown. And it took me an hour and a half every day to, to each way to get to work and, and home. And so I wish that we had that type of infrastructure available. To, and I wish that it was designed around, like you said, the, the salary man. That would be fantastic. Yeah, it makes it really hard to go to other cities, especially I like how clean and in Tokyo is. So it's really hard for me to go to other cities and not compare it to Tokyo. Yeah, you get spoiled a little bit, right? Yeah, you do. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I went to LA a few years ago in 2013 for a conference and I was actually I was a little bit shocked down, like downtown Los Angeles. I, was, I hadn't been there in about 25 years and uh, it was quite a quite a bit of a shock to go from Tokyo to LA. Yeah, I mean, for as big of a city as LA is, like the transportation, we always joke that it takes you to every place you don't want to be. You know, it's like you're a mile from the airport. You are a mile from like Dodger Stadium. You're almost there, but not quite. And then that's a long trek, you know, between if you're trying to walk it. So if we're talking about Japan and Tokyo in specific, then if you had to describe the people or the city in just like one or two words, how would you do that? Uh, the city, I would describe it as clean and organized. The probably actually the people would be the same, <laughs> clean and organized. <laughs> and well, if we're looking to plan our trip to come to Tokyo and and obviously see all the sights and, and enjoy some of the food and everything else, what time of year should we plan on visiting? I recommend you come either in the spring, so say like March, April, May, or the fall, um, starting in say October, November. You really want to avoid the Japanese summer because it's brutal. It's just crazy. You're looking at like, a really high humidity, you know, 80, 90% humidity and, you know, 100 degree weather. So it's just nuts. And the Japanese don't use air conditioning that much. They like it hot. So it's really, really uncomfortable in the summer. And the summer starts at June and goes to about September, October-ish. Oh, that does not sound good. <laughs> I mean, I, I live in Nashville now. We have we we have that same type of thing with the humidity and the heat and everything. But I, I'm in my office all day, so it's like 72 degrees all year round for me. You know? Yeah, so in Tokyo, you do a lot of walking. City's so big. The transportation is good. It can get you to door to door, but you end up doing a lot of walking. And so just you don't want to walk in that weather at all. So it really depends on kind of how you deal with uh, uh, the cold weather. I, I personally don't find Tokyo that cold, so I actually love it in the winter. The winter is really nice for me because it's about – Hold on a sec. I got to convert to your American freedom temperatures. Um, so it's about like, you know, five degrees or so, or sorry, 41, 40 is in the 40s in the winter. And the good thing is in Japan, winter is usually clear. So you have these like really nice, sunny, crystal clear days. And it's about, you know, 40s to low 50s temperature. So it's, to me, it's perfect for walking around because you, you don't get too hot. It's nice and clear day. It's perfect. If you're someone who doesn't like the cold weather, that's too cold for you, then come in the spring and you'll get to experience all the cherry blossoms and all the flowers and all that. And the weather will be also clear, but just a little bit warmer. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like you said, if, if you're walking a lot, it actually makes sense to have that, that cold temperatures to kind of keep you cool. So that way you're not arriving at your destination all sweaty and, and, uh, and sticky, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which you will for sure in the summer. Oh, yeah. So if you're like you mentioned the, the cherry blossoms, and I know that's one of the things that I think a lot of people really know about uh, about Tokyo and Japan in general. Uh, what time of year, if somebody's planning to visit, when should they like for the optimal time to see the cherry blossoms? I think the cherry blossoms come out at the end of April, beginning of May. 
Okay. But if you Google it, the Japanese are kind of fanatical about it. So they have it like down to a science. Like it's almost like they've scheduled it and they just go outside and turn the trees on at a certain time. Because like you'll see on the news, they'll say like, yeah, the cherry blossoms, the optimum view of time will be like four o'clock on April 13th or something like that. And <laughs> all the Japanese go out and take photos of it. So um, if you Google that, you'll find a lot of like like the cherry blossom season, they call it. So you'll find a lot of information on that um, released by the Japanese. But I think it's usually around end of April, beginning of May. Oh, fantastic! Okay, so let's let's take a step back. If for the listeners that that don't really know how to get to Japan or how to get around, where should they fly into if they're planning to come to visit? If you're flying into Tokyo, there's Haneda and Narita Airport. Both are international airports. I mean, both are fine. It just Narita is a little bit further out of the city than Tokyo than Haneda is. So it really kind of depends on where you're staying and where your hotel is. But once again, the infrastructure and the transportation system is so good that you have multiple options to get from the airport to your hotel. Either one is fine. Okay. Now, like, I, like for example, in the U.S., you know, we have a bunch of different airports in like New York area, for example, right? And the locals definitely have an opinion as far as which one they prefer. Uh, other than the proximity, do you have a preference between the two airports? Yeah, but for me, it's a little bit different because... I live in an area that has a train called the Skyliner, which is directly accesses Narita Airport. And the Skyliner train only only goes to this certain area of Tokyo, which I happen to live in. So for me, it's really convenient to fly out of Narita Airport because I just hop on the Skyliner train, takes me 32 minutes, and I'm right at the airport. But if your hotel is not near that area then you should consider other options. Like perhaps Haneda is a better option for you because Haneda is closer to the city and uh, you it might be a shorter trip after you know you arrive on the train to get to your hotel. Okay. I presume you would take the train in either situation. Uh, about how far would you say each, each of those are from like the middle of Tokyo where most of the tourism stuff is? Well, Narita is about, about an hour and a half or so from the main area and uh haneda is maybe about half an hour or so it's a lot closer oh that's significant yeah like narita is not not actually in tokyo it's in this whole other prefecture and haneda is actually in tokyo but like once again though it's like tokyo is so spread out that it, it really depends on where your hotel is so it may be actually easier to arrive at narita and just take like the Skyliner Express or the other express trains directly to that area where your hotel is versus coming into Haneda and then taking a local train to your hotel. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, like you mentioned, that trains are kind of like a big part of the culture as far as getting around and everything. Uh, are there certain passes that maybe you would buy to, to save money or to be able to save time so that way when you're trying to hop on and off the train? Yeah, there's a JR Rail Pass that you can buy. You can buy it overseas. Any like Japan travel related website will sell it. It allows you to travel on uh, a lot of the trains, both in Tokyo and throughout Japan. If you're not planning on traveling outside of Tokyo and you're just traveling inside Tokyo, then get what's called a Suica Pass. You can get it at like when you arrive at the airport, you see a JR station a building, and you can get it there. It's just a, uh, like a, a it looks like a credit card that you can use to uh, access all the trains in uh, around Tokyo and whatnot. And you can even use it to make payments like at the, at the convenience store or the vending machine or in a taxi or, or whatever. Oh, wow. That's really cool. And one of the questions I always ask everybody, obviously, because of the transportation, we should not worry about renting a car. That's like one of the, the, the things probably we should not even think about doing while we're visiting, right? 
Yeah, you. I mean, if you're staying in, in Tokyo, you don't really need it. Not to mention the fact that, you know, we drive on the opposite side of the road here. So if you're coming from the States, it might be a bit of a shock to you to suddenly be sitting on the <laughs> other side of the car and driving on the other side of the road. But yeah, if you're in Tokyo, if you're only visiting Tokyo or any, if you're only visiting any major Japanese city, Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, anything like that, you don't need a car. Even if you're going out into, say, like the bit of the countryside, you don't need a car because the rail network's so good. You can literally go door to door almost everywhere in Japan. The only reason why you would need to rent a car is if you're truly going somewhere that doesn't have any public access at all and you want to get there a little bit quicker than, say, uh, you know, train bus combination. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about some of the things to do while we're there visiting. I went to the, the Tokyo Visitors website and I saw there's just so much to do. I was getting educated on, on Tokyo quite a bit. I know one of the things that you mentioned in our conversations before is obviously temples are a big part of the culture and a big tourist draw for when people come visit. What are some of the ones that maybe we should make sure that we always see when we're visiting? Well, it kind of depends on what you're into. The one that everyone likes to go to is that Sensoji temple. And it's the one that you might've seen pictures of. because It's got that huge red, you know, balloon lantern thingy at the front gate. Okay. And that's one that's in the city. And that's really popular. But if you don't want to go to um, one that's so touristy, um, there's temples and shrines kind of scattered throughout the throughout the city. So um, they're not that hard to find. And, you know, you can usually find one that's a little bit less touristy. There's a, something called Akiba, which is the uh, they or like the electric town. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, Akihabara. Yeah, it's kind of known as electric town, but that's what it started off as. It used to be an area where people used to buy and sell electronics. Now it's kind of morphed into more of an anime, manga, video game town. So if you're into anime and manga and video games, then Akihabara is an interesting area to walk around. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, I'm not super into that, but it's kind of fun just to kind of see those type of things, right? Another thing is the uh, Shibuya Scramble Crossing. Yeah, that's the one that's okay, quite well known. It's like in that should be intersection where, if you remember that movie, A Lost in Translation, they filmed the scene where uh, that Scarlett Johansson's character walked across the, that street and she looked up and saw that dinosaur video playing in the in the in the building and whatnot. The Shibuya is like a big popular shopping area for a lot of a lot of young people, and um, that's like the main intersection where people cross the street there. Yeah, well, I was saying it said like like a thousand people can cross it like at a single time, right? Yeah, because they they stop like they, they alternate between cars and pedestrians, and it's one of those ones where you can walk like diagonally across the street, so you don't do the like that X, you know, you don't have that square pattern. So oh sure, yeah. So it's like it's a popular place for a lot of tourists to go, but just a, you know, just kind of advise tourists if you're gonna cross there and you got like ten thousand Japanese behind you, don't suddenly stop in the middle of that intersection to take a selfie. <laughs> a lot of tourists like to take selfies there, and the locals find it a little bit annoying that they're just trying to get from point A to point B. And suddenly, suddenly this person stops directly in front of them and whips out their phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going to get trampled for sure. Yeah. <laughs> a couple other things I saw were, uh, I guess there's a couple of re- uh, really big towers that are kind of stand above uh, the skyline with the, uh, the Tokyo Sky Tree and then the, the Tokyo Tower. I guess those are both have like, really good vantage points when you're looking around the city. Yeah, the Sky Tree is the newer one and the taller one. And then the Tokyo Tower is the one that they built, I think, in the 50s or something like that. So they offer both offer a view of the city. But what I actually recommend to people is go to the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building. It's in Shinjuku. 
you know, it's hard to miss this massive building. And it looks like kind of two, two towers that are connected. And um, they have a free observatory at the top. So if you go to the SkyTree and you go to the Tokyo Tower, you have to pay to go up. But if you go to the Metropolitan the Government Building, you can go up and you can see the pretty much the exact same view for free. They have actually have a really nice lookout up there. I think it's on the 45th floor. They got a little cafeteria in there. So I, th I personally, I think it's a better view and it's a little bit nicer and it's free compared to like the SkyTree or the Tokyo Tower. Free is my one of my favorite words. So that's <laughs> that's really awesome. Great tip. One of the other things that, uh, before we get to talk about some of the food and, and places you recommend as far as that goes, so one of the things you can't really find elsewhere is like the Kabuki Theater and like, uh, like sumo wrestling matches. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about those or um, like if somebody wanted to, to learn a little bit more, little bit more about the culture and, and history of, uh, of Tokyo and Japan, where would they go for that? Uh, the Kabuki is something I'm not familiar with at all. I think the best option for that would be to try to Google it or perhaps if you're staying in a hotel that has a concierge, ask them where you can find that. Because the thing is, like those things like Kabuki or Sumo are, are very traditional Japanese and traditional Japanese typically is not online that much. So it's not like you're going to be able to find a website for that Kabuki theater and book tickets online or anything like that. So the best way to find that, like you can Google it, you might luck out and find someone's got a website, but best option is if you can ask uh, your hotel concierge or maybe like a tourist information center how you can access that. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are some of the things else that you would recommend people do when they come to visit? I know you said that obviously it's, it's really built around the worker and, and everything else like that and not a lot to do when you're, when you're outside of work, but I'm sure there's some, some other good things that you can recommend. If it's you've never been to Japan before, this is your first time, actually the thing I recommend you do in Tokyo is uh, buy that Suica Pass and hop on what's called the Yamanote Line. And when you look at the train map of Tokyo, you'll see this green circle that goes all around the, all around the, uh, the city. Um, the, sorry, the trains are green, but the actual circle on the map is like a black and white pattern. That's a big loop that goes around the city. So, you know, many cities have like that hop-on, hop-off bus system. They don't really have that in Japan, but you can use this train as that because that train hits a lot of the major areas that tourists like to visit, like Akihabara, Shibuya, Shinjuku, et cetera, et cetera. So if you buy that Suica Pass, you can just get on and off and spend the day just hopping on and off at various stations and explore around that area. It'll be much better for you. Because the thing with Tokyo is there's no like central business district or, or central downtown or anything like that. It's just like one big massive city that's just completely spread out. So it's really hard to kind of walk around, so to speak, and get a feel of the area because you end up walking forever. So it's better to like hop on the train. Say you want to check out Shinjuku. You want to see the, the government building, which is in Shinjuku. Just get off the train, go to Shinjuku, look around, get back on the train, and then keep going. Next stop is Shibuya. Get off Shibuya, go see the scramble, go see Hachiko Dog, walk around, get back on the train. To me, that's the best way to, for you to kind of see the city and uh, not get lost and kind of give you a sense of like where everything is kind of laid out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially if you're going to be there for like a week or some, something that's a little bit longer, you take that one day and just kind of explore around and, and see, like, okay, where do I really want to come back and explore in a more deep fashion? Yeah, because I know a lot of tourists, and even myself, I remember the first time I came here, I just like ended up walking around and I didn't feel like I felt, I felt like I saw anything. I just ended up walking a lot. 
And then every now and then I kind of like discover something new or whatever, but I felt like I spent a lot of that day just kind of wandering around being lost. So, you know, it's better to kind of like, that's why I recommend this train because the train, you can't really get lost because it does a circle. So if you hop on one station and then you just keep getting back on the train, eventually you'll end up right back where you started. So it's a good way to kind of get an overview of the city on your first couple of days here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Say if you were going to be on the train and go like one complete loop. Do you know about how long that would take? Yeah, if you don't get off, it takes about an hour. Okay, yeah, that's not too bad then. Like you mentioned the the uh, Hachiko dog. I thought that was a really cool story when I was looking on the website. Can you uh, do that just like in a, in a brief summary of it? Well, Hachiko is a dog that you know is famous around the world, and the Japanese absolutely love it. And the, and the short story is that the, the Hachiko is a dog that was a pet of, uh, I think it was a university professor, and every day, the dog and the professor would go to the train station, the professor would go to work, and then come back, and the dog would come from the house to, to meet him at the station, and then go home together. And then one day at work, the doctor suffered a, either a heart attack or a stroke or something like that, and he passed away, so he never came back to the station. And obviously, the dog doesn't know what's going on, so every day for like 11 years or something like that, the dog would just go from the house to the station to wait for the master's return. And eventually, kind of the news media picked it up and did a story about it. And then the people around the station started to like feed the dog and recognize it. And it became kind of a symbol for like the loyalty uh, of the Japanese people. That's such a cool story. I mean, I'm a big dog person. And I, when I saw that story, I'm like, oh, my, that's so awesome. We got to make sure we talk about that. So we only have a couple more minutes. I don't want to miss out on talking about some of the great food. My wife, she absolutely loves sushi. I'm, I'm sure there's, the sushi in Tokyo is going to be far better than anything we have here in the, in the States. Plus, there's other types of food as well. So where do you recommend going for like, some of the great food in, in Tokyo? Uh, <laughs> that's a difficult question to answer because there are millions of restaurants in Tokyo. And to try to give directions to any one of them will be kind of pointless because it'll be really difficult to find. What I suggest you do instead is if you're looking for sushi, you kind of have two options that I can think of, like two main options. One is called the kaiten sushi, which is what you've probably seen in videos and movies where they sit at that counter and like the the, the trolley car, what's it called, like um, the rail system. Yeah, we call it here like the like a sushi train. Yeah, sushi train comes by. So like, you know, that's really popular, a lot of people. And that's kind of like considered like the fast food of sushi. It's not the best quality but it's cheap and it's kind of fun to sit there and your, your food comes comes by you. The other option that I recommend is trying to find a more high-end sushi restaurant known as like omakase, which means that there's not really a menu that the chef will prepare something for that day for the guest. If you've seen that video, that documentary, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, that's the type of restaurant that I'm referring to. So it's, it's a little bit more exclusive and you're going to get some really top quality sushi in a meal in that type of place and to find that once again it's a bit challenging because usually they're not online and usually they're kind of more word of mouth and the best option is the concierge at your hotel or like a local um tourist information spot okay yeah that makes a lot of sense i i think that's one of the things i really fear about taking my wife to tokyo is that once she starts tasting the sushi there she's never going to be satisfied with like, with like the the cheaper stuff and I, I may actually lose her to Japan, and she may just stay there and eat all the all the sushi all the time. Yeah, and don't forget, they don't have California rolls here. That's like an American invention. <laughs> all right. So beyond sushi and things of that nature, 
Uh, is there anything else that we need to like make sure we try while we're there as far as food-wise, even if it's not a specific restaurant? Is there other certain delicacies that we got to make sure that we get? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's tons. I mean, the, the food options in Japan are just endless. And it's something that I really miss whenever I go back to Canada. So you have like all different kinds of like even just like regular Japanese food, like fish dishes or noodles or, or things like that. And you and the thing is, the Japanese are so fanatical about this. Like there'll be variations of every single dish in hundreds of restaurants in Tokyo. The challenge for tourists is to be able to find where these restaurants are and access them because a lot of them are not online. You don't have a system like Open Table or a thing like that they have in the States where you can book this online. So that's the biggest challenge is just finding a, like a good restaurant that you want to you want to kind of eat at so just trying to think what the best option is the best option really like once again your hotel concierge or travel stop would be your best option but the other option is just to kind of walk around and poke your head into a few different places that um do you think you might want to try one of my friends he, he's japanese uh we grew up together and he went to japan after like, after graduation i believe and I know back then, at least, it, it seemed like everything was considerably more expensive when they when he visited Japan versus what it was here in the in the U.S. Is that still kind of the case, or is it more on par now, or how's that go? I mean, I, I don't know because I, like, I haven't you know I haven't been in the states in like twenty years, so other than that short trip to L.A., but I, I find personally for, for myself living here, I find living in Japan in Tokyo much cheaper than living in North America, much much cheaper than in Canada. Yeah, if you go to a restaurant here in Japan, I think honestly the the prices are probably similar to what you'd be in the states because you can go to a super high end restaurant and spend you know a few hundred dollars, but then you can also go to like what's called a gyudon place and get like a bowl of rice with some toppings on it for like five dollars. So the thing with Japan is there's such a huge range of options that it can fit anyone's budget. And that's something I don't see back home as much. You know, there's kind of like the high end and then there's kind of like the McDonald's, but there's not a lot of variation <laughs> in between. But once again, think about Tokyo is designed for like the salary man, the working man, right? So there's like restaurants that he will take clients to and then there's restaurants that he will eat like quickly when he's on the go, going to meet a client and there's restaurants that he might eat when he takes his, his wife out for dinner and whatnot. So it's like there's so many variations there's just really endless options for people when they come here. The tricky part is just finding it. Absolutely. Well, Anthony, that's really awesome. I, I've learned a lot about Tokyo, and uh, I can't wait to visit there with my wife. Thanks for all the tips. Now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time when they visited Tokyo for one meal, where should they go and what should they eat? I recommend going to Udatsu Sushi. It's in it's near Nakameguro. It's like one of these exclusive sushi restaurants I talked about. The chefs there is fantastic. And he'll prepare an exclusive meal for that day. So you just go there on that day and he will make a meal specifically for the for that day. And it's just really great. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's one of those things that makes it cool that you don't have to think about it. You just all you gotta do is show up and everything's kinda of taken care of for you. And it's really the it's amazing. Like when you like the when you eat that sushi, you're like, Whoa, this is what real sushi tastes like. It's <laughs> quite surprising how good it is and how different it is than if you're not used to that kind of high level sushi making that's fantastic so you lived in japan for about seven years now what's one of your most memorable stories of being there that's actually a tough question to answer i think probably the most memorable thing for me is just through my work i've been able to travel around japan and be able to kind of get out of the cities and enjoy the countryside a bit more like going skiing up north and then after skiing going into like a onsen which is like an outdoor hot spring which is kind of nice 
and then all the traveling all the way down to Okinawa where they have like those you know it's like a tropical island there's like beaches and all that so you see all these Japanese walk around the Hawaiian shirts which is kind of funny <laughs> so I've just been lucky through the work that I've been able to travel around Japan and actually I encourage anyone to do that if you come to Tokyo most tourists just go to Tokyo Kyoto Osaka but really there's a lot to see in the countryside and other areas that to me are more interesting than those three main cities yeah absolutely I mean that's one of the things that at least I'm trying to preach anyways with the with the website and the podcast is that there are a lot of great big cities like Tokyo and, and LA and New York and everything else around the world but there's a lot of smaller cities that if you only stay in the big city you're going to really miss out on on a lot of great experiences. Yeah, definitely, for sure. If you come to Japan, you should really do like a yokan experience. And that's kind of like what the Japanese would call like a bed and breakfast. And those are usually available in the countryside. And many of them have like a like a built-in private hot spring in, into your room. And that's one of the things that like where you, you stay in the room, and they, they bring you the meal, they prepare it, you know, in front of you and all that. So it's like, you can kind of consider it like a Japanese bed and breakfast. But that's always a fun experience to do because some of those are really, really nice. That sounds amazing. Uh, speaking of fun times and and, uh, and great memories and everything, where's the happiest happy hour in, in Tokyo? Probably an area called Shinbashi. That's an area that a lot of Japanese office workers go for drinks after work. So if you just get on the train, you get off at Shinbashi Station and follow all the drunk salary men, you will find all the what they call izakayas. And izakaya is kind of like a pub, like a Japanese pub. Those are the places where they have like a lot of drinks and a lot of kind of what you could might call finger food, like cheap food. And you'll just see uh, thousands of drunk Japanese having a good time in that area. (laughs) That sounds fun. One of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza or any type of pizza in Tokyo? The best place for pizza in Tokyo is Brooklyn. (laughs) There is no pizza in Tokyo. I mean, there is pizza here, but I don't know if you really want to try it or not. It's kind of like they don't really have like pepperoni pizza or anything. They have one kind of pizza. I think they call it margarita or something like that. And just basically some sauce with some basil leaves on it. So, I mean, Tokyo is not really a pizza place. Yeah, I, I kind of figured, <laughs> kind of figured as much. But you know, you, you always got to ask and figure it out. Now, obviously, you travel around a lot. You've been to all these other countries. You travel on a regular basis throughout Japan. What's your best travel tip? For coming to Japan, it's probably, I don't know, it's not a question actually, because Japan is very easy to travel. It's not really that complex, you know, but, you know, if you if you come to this, yeah, I'll tell you a travel tip actually. If you're coming to Japan, uh, really, really pay attention to when your flight arrives or when your flight leaves. Because if you have to take the train during morning rush hour with your luggage, there's no way you are going to get on that train. My train that I take to work every morning is filled to 165% capacity every day. So there's like no space. So I've seen so many times tourists at my station with their luggage staring at this like completely full train show up wondering how they're going to get on. And the, <laughs> the, and the thing is the train comes every like three minutes and the train carries like 15 carriages long. So you can imagine how many people are being moved throughout the city. And they don't realize that that will exist for like two hours. So. They might risk their, like two hours pat, you can't get on. So if you are coming into the city or if your flight's leaving like any time in the morning rush hour from like 7 to say 9.30, 10 o'clock, you should really take a look at like other options like a taxi or something like that. I know it's a bit hard to kind of plan that if you don't know kind of when rush hour is, but just think the fact that every train has got rush hour in the morning. And if you've ever seen those videos of people being pushed on the train, 
on YouTube, that's what a lot of rush hours like. So it's just, <laughs> there's no way for you to get on there with your luggage and you run the risk of missing your plane because if you wait, you might wait for two hours. So if your flight is like 10 a.m. at the airport, and you gotta be there at eight o'clock or something like that, that means you're gonna be on the train during peak rush hour and you should try to make alternative transportation arrangements if that's the case. Yeah, that's an excellent tip. That's fantastic. So Anthony, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about Tokyo and, and sharing your experience and, and making it so that way people have a better experience when they come visit. So can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and if somebody wanted to reach out to you to ask questions, what's the best uh, channel on social media for them to reach out to you? Um, probably my podcast. I've been hosting a podcast here in Japan called Tokyo Podcast since I moved here in 2011. It's kind of, I call it an occasional podcast because I kind of come and go <laughs> depending on if I get busy or not. But right now I'm actually posting shows. So if they want to kind of listen to about what life is like in Japan, then Tokyo Podcast is probably the best place to find me. Right on. Okay. So is there a social media channel that they should reach out to you if they have a question? Yeah, it's all, it's all Tokyo. It's all under Tokyo Podcast. All right. Perfect. You know, Anthony, again, thanks for coming on the show and we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Yeah. Thank you very much. Big thanks to Anthony for coming on the show and sharing his tips about Tokyo. Show some love by subscribing to the Tokyo Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Send me a tweet at We Travel There to show your favorite thing about Tokyo, Japan. All the links we talked about today can be found at wetravelthere.com forward slash Tokyo. We want to say thank you to Acorns for being today's affiliate partner. With Acorns, you can invest spare chains automatically on every purchase that you make. Plus, you can earn found money by shopping at participating retailers. This is a great way to easily build up your travel fund. For a limited time, when you sign up at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns, we'll both earn $5. Join us next time as we head to Jeonju, South Korea to speak with my new friend Dan Hughes of danhughesmusic.com. Dan and I talk about the Jeonju Hanok Heritage Village, Korean barbecue, and the birthplace of Bibimap. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you subscribe. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations. <laughs>